Well, let's find our way to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's get right into it. Ephesians chapter 6. This morning, we, we talked about Nehemiah. I asked the church to do two things. Number one, to, to commit to ask the Lord to speak to you and I to me personally, clearly, about what he wants in our lives. And then, secondly, to commit whatever he tells you, be obedient to it. Listen and obey, okay? But we also understand from the example of Nehemiah that when you do that, when you make a good decision, you will immediately encounter resistance. And it'll come from three directions. It'll come from the world. It'll come from the devil. But the first place it'll come from almost without exception, is your own flesh. Our flesh doesn't want to do right. And we looked at Nehemiah, and we saw that Nehemiah made a good decision. He followed the Lord in obedience and and was using him to go and build the the wall of, of Jerusalem in 52 days. But as soon as he got there, he was met with three enemies, just like we have. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Now, we know we're going to have enemies. We know we're going to have resistance. We know that we're going to face this. So now the next question we have to ask is, okay, what do we do? We're supposed to stay on the wall. How do we do that? How do we protect ourselves against the enemy? How do we do it? Well, we find that answer in a very familiar passage. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Father, would you help me now as I preach this message? May I do so in the way that most pleases you. Would you clear my mind, uh, my thoughts, May everything about me be fully surrendered to your will for this hour. Lord, may Christ be lifted up in it. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's three ingredients, according to this passage, for protecting against the enemy. Here's the first one. Personal awareness. Personal awareness. Look at verse number 10. Finally, my brethren... Be strong, where? In the Lord. And in the power of his might. It doesn't say be strong in your preparation. Be strong in your training. Be strong in your ability. It says be strong in the Lord. Let me ask a couple questions. Are you aware of how badly you need the Lord? 
Are you? Now, I think all of us, if I were to say, how many of you know that you need the Lord, that without him you can do nothing, we'd all say, amen, preacher. Then why so often is it that we go to him after we've exhausted everything else? God should never be our last resort. He should be our first option. We need him. My power cannot be found in anything about me. The power that we need to defend ourselves against the enemy can only be found in Jesus Christ. Only. We desperately need him, and some of us us lack that personal awareness that we need him. And and then if you understand how much you need him, then you, you probably have an awareness of just how powerful he is. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We're not dealing with a God that can just get you by. We're not dealing with a God that's just barely sufficient. We are dealing with a God who is able to do above all that you can ask or think. We are dealing with a God who is omnipotent. We are dealing with a God that has no limitations save those that he's placed upon himself with his own attributes. We we are dealing with a God that has no rival. We are dealing with a God that has no peer. We're dealing with a God that has no colleague. We're dealing with a God that, that has no contender. We're dealing with a God who is capable of all things with God. Nothing shall be impossible. And when you come to an understanding a personal awareness that the only strength that I have is found in God, then you start to understand just how powerful he is. We never get a glimpse of how powerful God is until we understand how impotent we are. There needs to be personal awareness. Oh, preacher, it's been terrible. I'm in a mess and there's nothing I can do about it. Then that's exactly where you ought to be. Because I got news for you. You're in a mess more often than you know you're in a mess. Personal awareness. Then number two, what we most, what we most associate with this, this passage, you want to protect against the enemy? You better have some personal awareness, and you better use the provided armor. The provided armor. Now, it's provided, but that doesn't mean we use it. Sunday school teachers, did you know that you've been provided with a little stipend for you to use for your Sunday school class? A little one, so much. A little one, and rarely... Do our teachers use it? And that's fine. It's between you and God. But it's there. Did you know that God has provided you and me with all the armor we need to make it through this world unscathed, spiritually speaking? It's the question of whether or not we use the provided armor. What kind of armor are we talking about? Well, first of all, it is a designed armor armor. Did you know that your armor is not, is not just, uh, you know, 
standard issue. Hope it fits. No. It's been specifically designed for you and for what you are going to face. What do I mean? Well, first of all, it's designed for the saint's protection. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Now, there's a caveat here. If you're going to make use of it for your protection, you got to use all of it. The whole armor of God. You can't pick and choose and say, well, I'm all about the sword of the Spirit, but that shield gets heavy sometimes. That helmet gets in my eyes sometimes. That, 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 that belt, that girdle is uncomfortable sometimes. I'll leave those to the side. I'll just take the sword and be good. No, you need it all. Because whatever you're not wearing, that's where you're most vulnerable. It's been designed for the saints' protection. But you know what else? It's been designed for Satan's practices. Look at what it says in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles there means methods. It is specifically designed to deal with the devil's methods. He does things in a certain and, dare I say, predictable way. And so it's important that you have armor that has been designed specifically for Satan's practices. When I was in high school, I was a catcher. Catchers wear a certain type of gear. They wear pads that go from their knees down to their feet. They wear a chest protector. They wear a face mask, and most wear a helmet. Okay, That, that equipment is designed to protect you against most baseball-related injuries. Oh, you're still going to take some shots off your thigh. You're still going to, you know, helmet or not, face mask or not, you take a foul ball off, it rings your bell. But it doesn't do any lasting damage. It's useful. It's protective. But if I were to decide to pursue a career in hockey as a goalie, what is great for baseball is not sufficient to be a hockey goalie. I'm going to get hurt real quick wearing that. For one thing, there are openings in a catcher's mask, at least when I played. Now they've made them. Anyway, when I played, there was a slit big enough for a hockey puck to get through. Let me tell you, you take a hockey puck to the face, you're in trouble. You know, a a a well-executed slap shot will mess you up. It's not designed for that. But what do we do as Christians? We try to deal with Satan's methods in ways and using armor that was never designed for what Satan does. Psychology was not designed to deal with Satan's methods. Education was not designed to deal with Satan's methods. Cultural, um, the cultural agreement over things, how we should do things, that's not designed to deal with Satan's methods. Only the armor that God provides <coughs> has been designed to deal with Satan's 
practices. So it's designed for the saints' protection. It's designed for Satan's practices. And for our great duh moment, it's designed for spiritual problems. Look at verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's people. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have got to stop fighting a spiritual war with earthly weapons. It will never be successful. Now, these problems do manifest themselves in people sometimes. But can I just tell you something, friend? Joe Biden's not the enemy. There's, there's something much bigger than him. Hollywood is not the enemy. There's something much bigger than that. We're dealing with spiritual issues. America, far more than having economic problems and crime problems and education problems and transportation problems and, and, and environmental problems and even moral problems, far more than all of that, America has spiritual problems. And if we're going to try to continue to fight a spiritual battle with earthly weapons, we are going to fail every time. What do you mean, Andy? Well, again, if you know me, you know that I will readily admit that there are some things that God has allowed man to, uh, to come up with that is useful, you know. At some point... Somebody chewed on a piece of willow bark and found out it's an analgesic and helps with pain. That's fine. And from that, I think, if I'm remembering right, came aspirin. Okay? And we found out that aspirin has pain-relieving properties, and aspirin will thin your blood. I take a little baby aspirin every day. I have no idea if it's working, but they tell me to do it. Okay? That's great. God gave us doctors, people that have trained in medicine and nurses. And yes, there are even situations in which there are good, solid psychologists that can help us unpack the mysteries of the brain. I'm not against any of those things. But would you agree with me that if we've come to a place as a society where we've completely cast out the things of the Lord in favor to, with what man's come up with? Can I just tell you something? Sometimes your kids don't need a drug. Sometimes your kid needs mom and dad to apply consistent discipline. I'm not saying there's never a time to involve pharmaceutical help. I hope you understand that. If somebody comes to me and they're all crazy and everything, I might say, you know what, maybe there is something that can help you so you can get a, a good even keel, balanced look at life, and then we can move from there. I'm not against that stuff, and you know that. But you also know that we live in a society now that doesn't want to call anything moral. Everything's clinical. And, and we've completely, we're, we're cattywampus on this thing. Y'all know that word, don't you? It used to be that things that were medical were called spiritual. Somebody that had epilepsy was thought to be demon-possessed. And now we know that epilepsy is a, a real medical problem. But now it's the completely opposite. 
You look at somebody that's evil, but it's got some kind of clinical reason to it. Why is that? Because we have, we have stepped away from the armor that's been designed for spiritual problems. You see, it's designed. You know what else it is? It's dual purpose. Have you noticed that when you look at this list of, of armaments here, that it utilizes both offensive and defensive uses? Our God is a God of balance. And he intends for us to, 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 fend our, to defend ourselves against our enemies in a balanced way. Sometimes it's defensively, but sometimes we've got to go on the offense. The defensive armor protects. The offensive weapons advance. So this armor is designed. It's dual purpose, but then thirdly, it's distinct. It's distinct. What do I mean? It's specialized. It's made for exactly what you need. Let's look at it, verses 14 through 17. We begin with loins that are girt about with truth. You know what, you know what this, this armor is meant to do? It's meant to protect your home. Now, what do I mean by that, protecting your home? I'm going to be as careful about this as I can. I'm going to use a little bit of code, okay? But I can't ignore the truth that's presented here. This belt, this, this girdle is what they would call it in 1611. The first thing it did is it held everything together. The breastplate clipped to it, you know? But most importantly, the sheath for the sword, the scabbard for the sword held to it. Without, without this girdle, without this belt, you're not keeping your sword close at hand. We'll find out later the sword is the word of God. What's the best thing for you to do to protect your family? You keep the word of God close at hand. God told Joshua after Moses' death, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema of Scripture. What does he do? He talks about how infused the word of God should be in our daily lives. You want to protect your home? You better be keeping the sword close at hand. But I'll tell you what else it does. It protects the most vulnerable part of you. The midsection has no ribcage to protect it. The vast majority of our emotional feelings feel like they're coming from here. Have you ever been nervous? Where, where, where do you feel it? Butterflies where? In your stomach. It protects this area. And yet, it's this area that produces the most vulnerable things we have in our lives. And that's our children. The devil is coming for our kids. And he's using Disney, and he's using Hollywood, and he's using 
the music industry, and he's using sports. I'm all for sports, but it's become a god to some people. He's using all kinds of things to come after our kids. So we got to protect our home. Have your loins girt about with truth. Then, the breastplate of righteousness. If, these, if this belt protects your home, the breastplate protects your heart. In two ways. First of all, righteousness that lends itself to salvation. But then, once you're saved, righteousness that lends itself to sanctification. Protect our heart. You want to protect against the enemy? You better have truth in your home. And you better be protecting your heart, constantly seeking to be more like Jesus. So far, we've seen defensive pieces of armor. But the next one, whether you believe it or not, is actually offensive. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The belt protects your home, the breastplate protects your heart, but these shoes advance the gospel. Why do I say that? Because these shoes, now remember, Paul has the soldiers of his day in mind. And on the bottom of these soldiers' shoes were what we would now call cleats, little hobnails on the bottom that were meant to give them traction. What are they doing with that traction? They're moving forward. What should Christians be doing every day we can? Advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be, it's an offensive thing. We go back to a defensive one. The shield of faith. The, the belt protects your home. The breastplate protects your heart. The shield of faith protects your hardiness. Now, what do I mean by your hardiness? I mean your courage. Your stick to to keep going. It's important to know something about the shield. If you know anything about ancient military warfare, you know what a phalanx was. A phalanx was when these soldiers with these large shields would link together and those shields would interlock and they would move forward as a unit against the enemy. It says the shield of faith, not just any faith, a faith that's alive. And you know what happens? You get great power. You get great hardiness in knowing that you're not alone. You're not the only one trying to live a life of faith. There are others trying to live it with you. As we encounter things in life, we're not meant to do it alone. We need one another. But do you know where a lot of Christians get in trouble? When they isolate. When they isolate. The belt protects your home. The breastplate protects your heart. The shield of faith protects your hardiness. The helmet of salvation protects your head. More specifically, your mind. Your mind's who you are. What have we let in our mind today? And it's so easy. 
we think of the we think of the things that are most obvious. We think of things like dirty pictures, dirty movies, dirty TV shows, curse words, music that glorifies violence and immorality. But y'all, it can get in there through a commercial. It can get in there through the background music that's playing in something that in and of itself is fine. It can get in there in a news broadcast. How vigilant are we about guarding what goes into our minds? Because I got news for you. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you put in there is what's going to take root, and ultimately it's going to identify who you are. Are you guarding your head? And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace advances the gospel, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, advances God's power. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What's the word of God? It's quick, it's alive, and it's powerful. Let me say this again. I've said it a billion different ways probably. Now, that is hyperbole, but it feels like it. You cannot hope to be any kind of Christian at all of any merit, of any accomplishment, and of any pleasing to God apart from his word. You just can't. You've got to have his word. So, if we're going to protect against the enemy, if we're going to stay on the wall, there needs to be a personal awareness of just how badly we need the Lord and then how powerful he is. There needs to be the provided armor. We need, it's a designed armor. It's a dual-purpose armor. It's a distinct armor. And God has made it available to us, and we should use it in its entirety every day of our lives. And then thirdly, there needs to be a prayerful attitude. None of this works without prayer. I just, I can't overstate to you how excited I am about these, these, these cottage prayer meetings. I wasn't able to go to last night's. I, I was FaceTimed in. And so it really was, in a digital way, it was like I was looking through the window of a meeting of the early church. And it was, y'all, it was a church service. God's people gathered. The word of God was taught. Hymns were sung. Prayer was made. All all that was lacking, I told them last night. Now that I think about it, you didn't take up an offering. You broke bread. Yeah, you broke bread. They didn't have communion, but they broke bread. Didn't take an offering, nor do we intend to. But all that was left for them to fill up Miss Patty Mac's bathtub and baptize somebody. That That was it. But can I tell you, I, sat, I actually sat right here for two reasons. Number one, I wanted to project a spiritual tone. Anybody that saw me on the, on the phone, you know, oh, he's sitting in the auditorium. He's a godly man. Also, my office is a wreck, and so I didn't want to sit in there. 
And I just sat here. And I had the that chair that I sit on sometimes there, and I had the phone sitting on it. I'm just sitting right there looking at it. And all I could think was, I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of this church. I want you to notice, I didn't say that I get to pastor this church. I'm grateful for that too. I'm grateful that I get to be a part of this church. If the Lord lets it work out the way I kind of think I want it to work out, I'll be 70 years old, I'll have pastored this church for 35 years, that'll be that. And for the good of the church, I probably should leave because, I mean, you know, the new pastor doesn't need some guy haunting him. He doesn't need to look over his shoulder. And I'll be honest with you, there'll be things he does I don't like. That's just natural. But you know what'll be hard about that? Who wants to leave the greatest church in the world? You know? Now, if you're visiting from somewhere else and you say, well, my church, well, great, I'm glad you feel that way. You should. I love this church. And I was so thankful that I was able to watch albeit from a distance, what was happening. Now, let me tell you what else was going on in my mind. And I don't want to sound spooky. But I've told you, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit on Wednesday nights. I do believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Now, it never contradicts his word, and it doesn't violate the progression that we see in Scripture. But do you know what I really think that the the Spirit prompted me on last night? As I watched this group gather to pray, it's as though he was whispering in my ear, this is how it's all going to happen. It's been 12 years, Andy, you idiot. It's about time you did this. The Holy Spirit calls you an idiot? Oh, yes. Many times. And he's always right. This is how everything's going to happen. This is how those loved ones are going to come to Jesus. This is how this room is going to be filled. This is how the Family Life Center is going to get built. Prayer. Not for nothing, I mentioned this morning, we may have to take up another love offering. We may have to scrape some more ground over there and pour some more gravel because that lot over there is already full. Praise the Lord. If we're going to see victory over the enemy, we've got to have a prayerful attitude. First of all, it needs to be consistent. You know what the hardest thing for me about my prayer life is? Consistency. Well, you don't pray every day? I do pray every day. But is every day filled with the depth and power that it's supposed to be in my prayer life? No. Consistency. Look at what it says, verse number 18. 
praying how often? Always. Paul told the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. Consistency. You know what else? Our prayerful attitude needs to be circumspect. Look at verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto. What's that word watching mean? It means to be on the lookout. The Bible tells us to be circumspect, to be sober, to be vigilant. For our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeing whom he may devour. And you know what else? Our prayer life needs to be compassionate. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, if you dig into it and look at the Greek word for all, it means all. Well, preacher, I got to be honest with you. I don't like brother such and such. Get over it and pray for him. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. But there have been people in my ministry that have come to the conclusion that I am less than ideal in some areas. And they have allowed that conclusion to bring them to a place that they don't like me. Can you imagine that? I can't either. It is laughable. Sometimes I didn't know. And sometimes they made a point to make sure I knew. I'm thinking of one in particular. I'm not going to say if it was a he or a her, but this person, it was evident. They didn't like me. And do you know what? I went to the Lord about it. I told the Lord all on them. I told him everything I knew about them and made up a few things. You know what he said? Pray for him. Well, Lord, if I pray for him, I'm not going to mean it. Okay, then don't mean it. But pray for him. And so that's exactly what I did. Lord, I'd I'd, I'd wait to the very last part of my prayer time. They're not getting any any sooner than first part, than last part. And Lord, I pray for such and such. And Lord, I don't want to be a hypocrite. You know my heart. You know I don't. They don't like me. And Lord, you know. But Father, for Jesus' sake, bless them. Take care of them, meet their needs. Do something good for them today, if you must. You know what happened after a while? I started to mean it. Lord, I do want you to bless them. I do want you to take care of them. And Lord, just love on them. And you know what helps us get there? When we think of how much we don't deserve God's blessings and love. See, it's one thing to pray for the people you like, but this says we're to have some compassion. It says we're to pray for all the saints. Hey, Baptists, 
we have a vested interest in Methodist believers doing well. In Anglican believers doing well. Church of God believers doing well. Non-denominational believers who are really usually just Baptists with better websites. That joke's not my own. I'll give Tim Hawkins the credit he deserves on that. But he's right. Why? Because if you're saved, we're going to be in heaven together, aren't we? Now, they'll find out we were right about everything, but still. You know I don't feel that way. A compassionate prayer life. A compassionate, prayerful attitude. Circumspect and consistent. So what happens? What happens? That personal awareness of how badly we need the Lord and how powerful he is. That provided armor that we're using the way he intended us to use it. And that prayerful attitude that's consistent and circumspect and compassionate. You put these three three things in place. And the enemy won't get anywhere near you. Because you'll still be on the wall. That's how we do it. That's how we do it.